Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Amen. Good morning. How are we doing? Are we here? Raise your hand if you're here. Okay, here's fun. Okay, good. We're here. Um, Here's so we can see our neighbors. How many of you can hear the Grand Prix from your home? Raise your hand. Look at your neighbors. Yeah, me too. Um, Okay, so we've been in a a transition. Last three months, we've been here at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, welcomed with open arms to use their facility. And and it's been an incredible three months. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series on May 5th called Becoming Fully Alive. And we're looking at uh, the, the great commandment, according to, to Jesus, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to spend uh, basically 16 weeks looking at this. How do we love God? How, who, who is this God that helps us understand how to love ourselves and other people? How do we love ourselves? How do we take care of our souls? Because we're made up of physical and spiritual realities and we're emotional, social and mental. So how do we love ourselves holistically? And then how do we honestly love each other? So we're going to do that for the next 16 weeks. Does that sound exciting? It doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> we're going to do it. Um, but as I've been praying through the, the, what to share today and and uh, um, Bill's going to be sharing next week and then I'll start our series on May 5th. Uh, I was just thinking about how easy it is to re- re- remember the mission we had when we're, we're, we're ministering or meeting in a nightclub. It's very easy to recognize that, hey, we're, we're doing something subversive. We're, we're challenging uh, systemic evils in the city when we're meeting in spaces that are contested. Do you know what I'm talking about? When, when we have to set up and tear down, when the smell it smells like cigars and Saturday nightclub leftovers and, and you come and you're worshiping Jesus and you're moving beer bottles away and stuff like that. There's a sense of we're on mission together. And, and I was thinking as I sat in comfortable seats and watched us grow over the last few weeks um, numerically, which is a great thing. What um, I want to remind us of what we're really about. As a church. So this message is for the garden, if you call the garden home and uh, for really anyone that calls themselves a follower of Jesus or a Christian or a disciple. So I thought I'd just remind us because oftentimes have you ever gone to a, a store like a grocery store and you walk in and you, you're looking at the aisle and it's just packed and it, with different stuff and you get there and you're like, wait, why am I here? Or what am I here for? And, and you're just oh, yeah. yeah. And you, you just forget. Do you ever have those moments? Because I think um, I had a moment like that a while ago uh, where um, I just thought I'd share this story. Some of you have heard this story. Uh, I, two years ago, I was in Maui with my family. It was an amazing vacation. My brothers um, and their wives, my wife and my dad and stepmom, we all had a house on the beach in Maui. Absolutely epic vacation. And one day we were uh, cooking up a, a Mexican feast. It was my wife and I's turn, my wife's turn to cook for the... <laughs> the whole family and uh, we had forgotten certain things. So I was selected to go to the grocery store because I wasn't doing anything at the time to uh, get the miscellaneous items that we forgot, you know, tomatoes, but mainly black beans. 
You see, uh, we were cooking this feast and we had to have black beans. And so she writes the list because I'm notorious for showing up to the grocery store and forgetting to get the very thing I needed to get in the first place. Does anyone else have that short-term memory loss? Okay, so the, if it causes marital conflict, you're in a safe place. Um, so there I was. I drive to the store. I'm in Maui looking at the coast, nearly crashing every time because it's just a different type of beach than Southern California. It's, the weather's nice. I'm in board shorts. And I, I, I pull up to this local grocery store and, and I'm fascinated by new contexts and new experiences. So I'm just taking it all in. It's hot. It smells nice. I go in. There's all different types of fruit. And I'm just wondering, wondering what kind of fruit that, that they are. I've never seen certain fruits like that. And, and, and I remember, oh, I got the list. I have, I got the list, so I grabbed the tomatoes, and then I find myself in the back section, which I wasn't supposed to go to, but it's the section where there's beer. And forgive me, um, I do drink alcohol in moderation, and it's okay, that's not an issue, the issue is uh, what you do with it, but I'm a big fan of IPAs, and so here I was, just fascinated by the local IPA selection. And um, uh, so I'm over 21, and this is totally normal, and I'm, my... my uh, and so I was like, I should bring some back for my brothers. We would love to, you know, have a, you know, a, a beer or something. And I found this big swell IPA and it, it was, it was $15.99 for a six pack of canned beer. And I'm like, there is no way that beer can be that good. But then I saw this little yellow uh, sign on it that says local price $4.99. Hold up. Now I've heard that Maui is known for being brutal to tourists, but seriously, local price for beer, $15 or $11 difference. I was just, okay, so I grabbed it, and the whole time I was plotting, how am I going to get local price? Do I got to buy a, a, a puka necklace? Or uh, do I got to throw a shaka up at the, and, you know, and start limping with a, a, some type of limp? No, that was the wrong context. But there I was, going up and down, uh, and then I, I had to remember why I was there. And I remember I got to get the black beans. So I'm, I'm, I'm holding my, my car and, and I have the, and I'm, I'm plotting this whole thing out. And then I'm, I grab the black beans. I stick them in the car. I drive home. I text my brothers. Guys, you guys won't believe what I got at the local price. Four ninety nine. I'm just I get there. I tell the story. I grab I grab the bag of stuff. I pull out the beer. My brothers are celebrating me. And I pull out a can of kidney beans. My wife, who wasn't surprised at all, <laughs> said, we'll have to make do. I had missed the point of the whole trip. I feel like the church today celebrates the wrong things. That we are celebrating large gatherings, big buildings, pr pragmatic models that get people into seats. And while the whole time... What we are called to do is not being celebrated. We're not cheering each other on for the things that are really important. Are you with me? This morning, I want to remind us of why we are here in the first place. So if you would, go um, grab your Bible. We're going to look at a few passages in Scripture. You've heard these passages here before. It is for us a reminder of what we're about, why we are here in the first place. We're going to start in Matthew 28. We'll hop around. But it seems like today, and forgive me for being uh, 
Uh, I'm going to speak from my heart. And if you hear that I'm calling you to do more stuff, it's coming from a place that we know the gospel is this. Jesus has done everything to make us who we are. We are accepted as we are, not as we should be. The kingdom of God is announced to everyone and says, guess what? The least likely people are welcomed in. But once you're in as disciples, the the bar is raised. Do you recall the Sermon on the Mount? Everyone gets in. Everyone's invited in when, when you accept Jesus and have that faith. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You're accepted. You're beloved. You're a saint. You're a holy one of God. You are, you are his piece of art. But then he invites you into a bigger story. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, and so I think that it's very difficult today to live out what the scripture says in the cultures we're surrounded by. We have a church culture that celebrates the numbers. The pastor's success is based on the church size, the Twitter followers, based on the books sold in the conference tours. We, we can try to convince people to believe in Jesus, but there's no transformational life happening. We, uh, we, we have small groups that look like the same person. It's like a J. Crew ad. You show up and everyone talks the same language. They're about the same social economic class. There's, there's no diversity in some of our churches. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I'm not condemning. I'm not pointing. Believe me, I'm a pastor and I love the bride. And this is not, I'm not calling out or criticizing the bride. I'm just making an observation. I'm just as much a part of the problem. We, we, we fight for stability and comfort and a safe place for the whole family. But we're called to, to die for our faith. We have built churches around the, the consumeristic culture that says just give people what they want. Because we're taught that we deserve what we want. The lattes in the service. The, the AC in the summer. The kids space without cigar smoke. Uh, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm soon to be a parent so I can say that now. That's totally cool. Um, not soon. I've got a long ways to go. Believe me, a long ways to go. Um, is it really that bad? I mean, do I really have to go to the store three times a day for your cravings? I, seriously, Alex craved, my wife's Alex, a tuna sandwich at 8 o'clock in the morning from Portfolio. So, okay, I'm up. Call it. Order it. Great. 5 p.m. that same day, can I get strawberry waffles? Yes, you can have strawberry. At 5 p.m. What is the deal with hormones? Anyways. I promise I won't talk too much about it, but it is what it is. We have a consumeristic culture. We have the American dream that says get the bigger house, the bigger job, the bigger upgrade of a car. Um, invest in your 401k and then invest after that. And then make sure your family's secured and build up a wealth and make sure you're living secure and safe and, and compete with the neighbor next door. It's this one up mentality. And as Pete revealed yesterday, most of the American dream is built out of a fear of finances, family and the future. It's about stabilizing those things. We have a narcissistic culture. This is an epidemic that's happening in our generation that says everything is about me and my feelings. Have you noticed this? People, people get offended by you hurting their feelings all the time these days. And we have a tolerant culture, which means I can't actually say I believe this thing without it being seen as an act of violence against someone else. That's happening in the church today. And so in the midst of this crazy culture and society, which we're going to talk a lot about in our new series and with the church culture, I just wanted to challenge us. Um, So let's read Matthew 28. Let's remind ourselves of what we're up to. Matthew 28. We'll go to verse 18. It says this. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Brothers and sisters, here is a secret to everything we're called to do. If you say yes to Jesus, you are invited to be his disciple that makes disciples that make disciples. The Great Commission is not for those that go to seminary or have a paycheck from a church or are seen as leaders. Jesus doesn't care how much you know about him. He invites you to follow him personally and invite others to follow him. We are all called to make disciples. This is the black bean of churches. <laughs> oh, <That was> silly. <laughs> Can we edit that off the podcast? Here's an honest question I would love. I would love an honest showing of hands. And this is not about shame. This is just about let's raise our heads to what God's inviting us to. How many of us have disciples? Now, how many of us are are followers of Jesus? Yeah. The invitation is not to take 12 people and walk them through a book. It's to begin to open yourself. God, who can I walk with? Who can I, I just spend regular time with? Imagine if all of us had one disciple that came to Christ and that one person disciple. I mean, it would just be exponential growth. The invitation is to be a disciple that makes disciples. You with me? That's point number one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is Paul. Paul is, uh, was a Pharisee. He was a brilliant thinker, theologian. And he is uh, in articulating to the Corinth church in Corinth, excuse me, um, some aspects of ministry. And he gets to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he summarizes quite a bit of stuff in a few sentences. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning you've come to this understanding, this belief, this faith that he's, he is Lord, The new creation has come. Okay. The old has gone. Everything that defines you in your past is gone. And the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So let me say that all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's called grace. So grace is given to us the ability to do what we could never do in the first place. That is the old is gone and the new has come. We are reconciled to God. There has been a broken relationship between us and God and us and each other. And he has he has restored it. And so he says we have been reconciled to Christ through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. According to second Corinthians chapter five, those that follow Jesus, those that are, uh, are, are in this church, the garden is called to partner in the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to go and restore broken, broken relationships between people and between people to God. And not only that, we are called as ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. We are the representatives of Jesus. We represent that ministering work. We are representing him. We are him in the flesh as the church. You can say we're his hands and feet. We're his body. Are you with me? So let me just. So then it's not about just showing up on Sunday to be fed. It's about showing up on Monday 
to reconcile the world to God. If you could lift your heads. You see, this is why marital problems, we need to care for marriages. We need to care for the the struggles that we carry on because it keeps us focused down. It keeps us focused on ourselves, on our belly buttons or on our our, our marriage. But Jesus invites us to, he lifts up our heads and says, you're going to go to the nations. You're going to minister on my behalf. You're going to represent me as an ambassador to your workplace. You're going to come in to the cubicle next to you, the guy next to you in your cubicle, and just exude life and hope and love. Are you with me? If you're new to the church, this is what we're trying to be. And I'm sorry that the church hasn't done this. I'm sorry that we celebrate other things like kidney beans, but we want to celebrate the thing we came, what we, what, why we're here in the first place. And this is what we're going for. So number one, make disciples that make disciples. Number two, uh, we are partnering in the ministry, ministry of reconciliation and we are Christ's ambassadors. Now go to Acts chapter one, verse eight. Um, if you want to know what the mission statement of what the mission statement should be for every single church, it comes from this verse. And we've heard it. I've preached this so many times. You guys are probably tired of me preaching this one verse. But this verse is one of the most significant statements we can understand. And this is the, the very verse that started a movement. This is why we gather today, because some young failures, losers, dropout followers of Jesus took this verse seriously and experienced it for themselves. And it started a movement even when they were oppressed to death. It's verse eight. It says this. Jesus is speaking to those that follow him. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The word witness is a martis or martyria. It's where we get the word martyr in Greek. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So followers of Jesus are to receive power when they receive the Holy Spirit. Power. The word for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. We are to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be his witnesses. The Spirit empowers us, gives us power to um, testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to represent him where we go. The spirit of God gives us power, you could say, um, for personal transformation so that we become more and more like Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple in the first place, but also the power to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. This is what we're commissioned to do. Every single follower of Jesus Christ is given the Holy Spirit to be empowered, to have personal transformation, so that your character looks more and more like Jesus. So that when you say something, you really mean what you say. That you choose what's best for others. That your yes is yes. That your no is no. That you don't look at a woman with lust. That you don't anger and sin. You you, You literally are given power to develop a character of Christ. But also... To have the power to proclaim the good news and to do the things that Jesus did. You've heard, you've heard us talk about this a lot, but this is, this is what happened when the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember Peter? I mean, he, was, he, was, he just did not have a clue in the Gospel of Mark. 
And at the height of where Jesus needed him the most, he falls asleep and then he denies him. And then a few weeks later, after he's been Jesus has been resurrected, he's filled with the spirit and he stands up on Pentecost Sunday and proclaims this prophetic gospel message. And three thousand people are saved. This little guy, this disciple of Jesus who wouldn't accept him or say he knew him in the courthouse or outside, of, excuse me, of Caiaphas's house. In at night around a fireplace, he says, I don't even know him, stands in front of all of Israel and says this. You've crucified the Messiah. Be, repent and be saved. It's because he was grasped by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is to be filled with people that are full of the Holy Spirit, that, that have the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit so that we can proclaim the gospel. We can heal the sick, cast out demons and do the ministry that Jesus did. Are you with me? In Mark's gospel, it says in Mark chapter three that he appoints his disciples to number one, be with him. So the first call of discipleship is to be with Jesus. And the second call is to be sent out, it says, and to uh, proclaim the good news and to heal the sick and cast out demons. This is what should be normal, not something that is seen as rare in our in our society, in our culture. I want to talk about the ministry of Jesus for a second in a way that maybe you haven't heard. Uh. But so much of Jesus's ministry was an expression of healing. Do you know this, Jesus? If you if you walk around the Gospels with Jesus, you see a compassionate king who embraces the poor. Uh, He welcomes in the outcast. He touches the untouchables. He speaks words of life to those that are ignored. He is consistently liberating captives and he heals the inner wounds of individuals And transforms their narrow perspective of themselves and offers a much larger story to enter into. Much of Jesus's ministry was the ministry of healing. And the word healing in Greek is also saved or salvation. It's the same word. Have you noticed the story of Zacchaeus where a Jewish tax collector comes to Jesus and he hides on top of a tree because he couldn't see him. And a tax collector was seen as a terrorist. He was a conspirator with Rome. He was excommunicated from the from the temple. That means as a Jew, he couldn't worship with with his fellow brothers and sisters in the Jewish religion. He was no longer considered a a son of Abraham. He was he was denied basic civil rights and he couldn't enjoy eating a meal with another Jew because of this excommunication. And Jesus sees him on a tree and he says, I'm coming to your house. I'm extending table fellowship, which meant I'm offering friendship. I'm accepting you as you are. I'm embracing you with into this community. He breaks down the barriers that this man had been uh, stuck with. He looks at him and with without taking, uh, excuse me, he took away every bit of shame, every sense of loneliness and isolation. Every bit of feeling of being an outcast, he looks at this overlooked man right in the eyes and he says to him in his house, salvation has come to your home because you two are a son of Abraham. And and Zacchaeus's response is just like salvation. It's just I'll give back everything I've taken. I'll give 50 percent of my money to the poor. His his response to Jesus's affirming word of what no one else saw, that he, too, was a child of God. This is the healing work that Jesus has for us. I mean, how many of us have the Zacchaeuses in our lives? 
The guy that we just do not want to hang out with anymore. He doesn't look like us. He's, he doesn't have the same character as us. He, he, he just talks so crudely. Or that girl that just always is gossiping and she's not even a believer or whatever it is. How many of us have that Zacchaeus that is so, is so desperate for an affirming word of identity that we can just give because we have the words of life? That's the healing work of ministry that Jesus invites us into. We are all called to participate in that type of ministry. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many women are, in, are here that desperately need to be told that they are beautiful? By someone that is not trying to hook up with them. How many women in here have been told by society that to be beautiful, you have to look a certain way, dress a certain way. And it's absolutely unrealistic. How many of us have bought into that and we need to stand in truth and affirm what true beauty looks like in people when we see it? We could speak the words that bring new life and healing to people. This is what we're invited into. Or the leper in Mark chapter one. A leper was a death sentence. You were considered a living corpse. You had to live in a colony outside of the city walls. You could not participate in worship. You had to dress terribly. You had to smell a certain way. You had to, when you walked in the city for food, you had to yell at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean, covering your mouth because the very thing that you were kept you from everyone else. You were kept from your family. You were not considered anything in society except literally scum. And it, there was so much superstition. They thought that you had to sin or do something bad for God to curse you with this. And of course, According to the rabbis, to be healed of leprosy was to be raised from the dead. And a leper is so desperate for wholeness that he falls. He breaks the, the barriers and he runs to this man, Jesus, falls to his knees because he probably doesn't want to look him in the face. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's not in a temple. He's not in front of a priest. He's in front of this man, Jesus. And for some reason, he thinks this Jesus can do something about his condition. And Jesus could just say the word, right? He said the word earlier. Early in another gospel, the centurion soldier just says, you're a man of authority. You can just speak the word and it will be done. And Jesus speaks the word and some person, some far distance elsewhere is healed from a condition. And Jesus doesn't do that. It says he's filled with compassion, which means it's gut wrenching feeling, emotion, strong emotion. He doesn't speak the word. He reaches out and touches him. Why would he touch him? Because this man needed to be touched. And he says, be, I'm willing be made clean. Go in wholeness. We don't just need to speak life-giving words to people. We need to go and touch people that are not being touched. We need to sit down and get messy with those that are scum of the earth. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the ministry we're called to. If you thought it was about getting on a stage, it's about getting on your knees and becoming the servant to all. What about the woman in Luke's gospel that apparently had met Jesus at some point in his ministry? And she um, had experienced something. And so she hears that Jesus is going to be dining with a bunch of religious folks. 
And she, she breaks through the crowd because in that context, uh, the, the poor could stand around the dinner tables. It was an outside courtyard, but they could never break the barrier. They could never interrupt. Their hope was just to, to get a morsel of wisdom and maybe some scraps at the end of the meal. And so as Jesus reclines with his left elbow on the, on the, on the table and his feet behind him, she makes her way through the crowd because she had seen him before. And she begins to cry as she sees Jesus. And she's close enough to hear the conversation, but she's also beginning to weep. And she's, she's so close to Jesus, she recognizes that her tears are getting his feet wet. She was so desperate or so filled with thanksgiving that she's literally weeping and she doesn't even think about everyone else in the room and she, she gets to her knees and lets down her hair and begins to, to wipe her, uh, his feet with her hair, which was shameful. It was, it was a sensual, sexual act in the first century. And while she's down there, she pulls out an alabaster jar. This was her 401k. This is her savings. This is her dowry. Most likely she had it as a dowry as she entered into a marriage and she probably took it as she was divorced because it says in the scripture, as noted by the religious folks, that she was a sinner, which means she was a prostitute. And as they witness this, the religious folks, this man can't be a holy man. He would never let this type of woman touch him. And Jesus, knowing what's inside of him, turns and he, it says he looks at the woman. He looks at the woman and he speaks to everyone else. And he says, do you see this woman? Of course they did. Of course. Yeah, the, the room smells of this beautiful perfume. They saw her hair coming down. She was making a scene. Do you see this woman? No one saw her the way Jesus did. And he says, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you, has healed you. Go in wholeness. What is the ministry of Jesus? It's the ministry of forgiveness. A forgiveness that is so grand that we need to be reminded that it's all grace. And people... That I've been told by the church today that they're not good enough, that they're not living the right way, that they're they're condemned from from the inside looking out. We need to say you, too, are welcome. You, too, can be forgiven. You, too, are welcomed by Jesus. We need to go to the margins and to the places that no one else is going and continue the work that Jesus has invited us into. Are you with me? Jesus has an unbelievable way of seeing through what society says about someone. He breaks down the messiness. He passes through the walls. He pierces our hearts with his power and pierces through our perspective and the barriers that we've set up. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus that speaks truth, that heals, that touches you, that offers forgiveness? Every time you fail, he just opens his arms and says, where does it hurt? Because if we don't know this Jesus, then the Jesus we're teaching is not the Jesus the world really needs. Do you know this Jesus? And this is the Jesus who will free you from your anxiety, from your addictions, from your pain, who will invite you into a life of wholeness. And I understand, guys, believe me, I understand. We live in the kingdom of God that is now and not yet. A kingdom that is present at work and seeing miracles, babies born and healings, tremendous healings. But in the same time, there are those that aren't always healed. 
There are those that die. And we live in this paradox of living on Easter in a Good Friday world. Until one day Jesus comes once and for all and heaven comes to earth and things will be once and for all restored. But we are to continue this work in faith that Jesus started 2000 years ago. And the church needs to start celebrating disciples being made ministry of reconciliation ambassadors going into the workplace and doing these types of things and continuing the ministry of forgiveness and inviting people that no one else would invite dining with people that no one else would dine with. This is what we're invited to. And may we not celebrate. It's great that we're growing and we're getting a larger church and things, things are happening on, 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 on all scales. We're seeing success. But can we always celebrate these stories? Because it's so easy to forget why we're here. It's easy when we do show up on Sunday, when we, we go to a community group, we lead a community group, we forget the real ministry that Jesus is inviting us to is to be with him. And to continue his work. Are you with me? And that it doesn't matter how good you think you are. Or how bad you think you are. He wants to use you. For this type of stuff. Are we receiving this? Okay. Three of us. Amen. I'm going to keep preaching my message. Amen. All by myself. You know what I'm saying? Gosh, I knew it was going to be heavy. I told Pete, I'm like, hey, if it's too heavy, just lift them up afterwards. <laughs> we have the same spirit. Oh, I forgot to use this. I'll bring it back. We have the same spirit that Jesus had. The same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in us. That same compassion for the broken is available to us. You can be compassionate. The walls of bitterness can be broken down and you don't have to say, oh, they'll use it for this. God will give you a spirit of compassion, the same spirit and power to forgive people that have harmed you, that you deserve to be angry against and kick them out of your life and never speak to again. That same forgiveness where Jesus is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He will empower you with that same power. He wants to allow that power to to touch and see and pronounce and reconcile within you. This is what it means to be witnesses to the world. We don't just talk about it. We live it out. The Jewish understanding of this is the word mitzvah. It's the word command. And so central to the Jewish community was keeping God's commands. And you would do this by walking with God in everyday normal life. And God would reveal to you in your everyday normal life mitzvah opportunities to perform good works. Mitzvah means commands or good works. And so to follow God and to obey, you would invite, allow him to give you daily opportunities to partner with him and what the Jewish people would say a phrase to repair the broken world. You would do mitzvah. And so you read about this in the, with the New Testament writers and Paul. They take this word mitzvah, which is Hebrew, and they, they, they say that the, they apply it to the church. That the church is designed to be made up of people who quietly serve, who love and bless the hurting, the forgotten, the marginalized, and everyone else in between. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, when you're gathering in the church... Spur one another on towards love and mitzvah, good deeds. So when you gather, part of the reason you gather is to encourage each other to do good works and to love each other. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no mitzvah, good deeds? Even the demons know and they shudder. Then there's the First Peter chapter 2, which uh, was written during the time when Christians were being uh, killed by Emperor Nero. He was a, an emperor that hated Christians. There was a fire in Rome at one point, and to blame someone, the Roman Empire blamed the Christians. This new sect that was going about doing its thing. And so Nero would light Christians on fire to illuminate his dinner parties in his garden. And Peter says... Live such good lives among the pagans that that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your mitzvah and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives in devotion to God that people will see your acts of compassion, your justice and love. That as you're being accused by Emperor Nero, they will see your mitzvah. So we can celebrate large gatherings, we can celebrate buildings, and we can celebrate our church growth. But why we are here is to make disciples that make disciples, to carry on the ministry of reconciliation, to live as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and to continue the work of Jesus Christ. This is what I signed up for. And this is what I want to keep forcing our church to come and center around, that message. Do you know, we we can go other directions, but can we center in on this? If we're going to do this, we have to do this together. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I want to fight culture. I I want, you know, Martin Luther lived in a very unique culture and people were dying. Luther inspired a reformation that people were killed for. I mean, Christians had fists in the air. Protests, Protestants, this is where we come from. So that the gospel would be what we preached and demonstrated. I want to have a church that's willing. I want to be a church that continues to fight for these things. That as we grow, the thing we center around is, is, is this. And it's going to be a, a really hard uphill battle. Do you know what I'm, are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, the culture we live in, we're going to have to fight the culture that says our value comes from what we do, how much money we make. That we, it's okay to be self-absorbed with your jobs, with your marriage, with your dreams and your families and your friends, your schedules, your hobbies. That the church takes the back seat, that the family of God's back there. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, for those that follow Christ, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I guess this isn't a seeker-friendly message. <laughs> but as Peter taught when, when yesterday or last week that Jesus was often offending the crowds because he had a radical message of the kingdom of God. So that's all I want to share. You can all laugh and take a breath. So as we think of good works, I'll pull it back around. Sometimes people in our church get sick and life comes in crisis. Maybe it's a good crisis. You have a baby. Maybe you uh, are sick or maybe you lose a son or daughter. Maybe someone dies. And the body of Christ is to love each other in such tangible ways, in such subversive acts. And to me, this for this last week was a subversive act of hospitality. It was just some soup for my wife and I. And I was reminded of how simple it is to let your light shine before men with a bowl of soup 
for a needing family or a cold cup of water on a hot day to a stranger or a subway sandwich for the man who asked for some money. I don't know what God's going to invite you into, but I promise if you keep saying yes to him, it's going to get crazy wild. And you will not look back with disappointment. So let me close with this. Some of you are here and uh, you need to hear the kind affirming words of Jesus today. That he welcomes you. That he prepared a table for you. That he invites you into relationship. You need to know this living God, the Jesus that is not the legalistic Jesus you might have heard of, not the condemning Jesus you might have heard of, but the Jesus that welcomes in the strangers, the poor, the hurting, the marginalized, and accepts you as you are and not as you should be. This is the invitation to Jesus. So some of you today just need to say yes to him. You need to let down your walls and stop walking around the subject and just say yes to him and follow him for the rest of your life. That's for some of you. Some of you might want to repent. This is where I'm going to spend my time today. Because we've created culture in the church that helps us to feel good about ourselves when we celebrate the wrong thing. All all the while missing the fact that we were invited to continue this ministry. I was invited to do this. Why on earth would I be invited? So some of us need to Take our dreams that have been right in front of God and put them at the foot of the cross. Some of us need to take our families that have become our idols. Our families, the safety and security of our families, as Pete talked last week, and we need to submit them to Jesus. Some of us have taken our jobs, our schedules, our times, our hobbies. We have these lists and we need to surrender them to Jesus. Maybe it's our comfort. Surrender them to Jesus. And, And I just want to invite you to repent and call it sin. Just repent from the culture that is so seductive, that looks so sexy, and that seems so easy, and we create a culture of convenience. And just come to the cross this morning, and, or maybe the, down here, and we can let, you know, kneel as, a, as an act of worship. I don't know what you want to do, but repent from those things. Of buying into the, the wrong thing. And lastly, I want to invite you guys to remember... To care for the poor is not an option. This isn't a shame thing. We are all called to walk with the marginalized, the hurting, the broken. Not to try to fit them into a monthly routine, but to welcome them into our lives. There are desperate people that need the word of life that you have inside of you. It doesn't have to be figured out. It doesn't have to be a ministry or polished, but we have to walk with the hurting in our city. We have to walk to where our stomachs are turned to touch. The church can become callous and I want our hearts to be broken regularly for our brothers and sisters that are hurting in our city. So I invite you to think of the Zacchaeus in your life or the leper and think about what that means this week as we move forward as a, as a church family.
So, I'll finish. Can we, uh, can we stand and pray? Invite the worship team up. I invite you to close your eyes. And if you're in a hurry and want to leave, feel free to leave. But this is for those that want to be with the family of God and create time and space to um, worship him and give him time back. And also time for us to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit directly. So I want you to close your eyes and just if you're comfortable, hold your hand out. As This is a posture of openness too. just I'm open, God, to whatever you have. Holy Spirit, I just pray you would come now and minister to my brothers and sisters. That we would be brave enough to just say, yeah, that's me, God. Thanks for revealing that to me. And I repent. I change directions. I, I change my mind based on this word being spoken. I, I reorient myself to what you desire. I'm just going to do this. For those of you that feel a sense that you want to just spend some time on your knees as an act of worship, would you come forward? Just keep your eyes closed. But right now, those that feel like they want to repent from the idols of their life, I I want you to come forward. Um, There's no shame. It's just saying, God, I want to put you in front. And just come. You can kneel down here. We're going to have some time of prayer in just a second as, as the worship is. But if that's you, I want to give, I want to invite you with courage to say, God, I'm, I, I just repent. Thank you. You can just stand or kneel and just sit. And, and we want to create a, a response culture in our church that's willing to say, God's doing something in me and I need to do something about that. So there's no shame. There's no guilt. We're just honest people. We're all broken, especially the lead pastor and Bill. We can have fun while we get serious too, guys. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you would touch our hearts. That as we see ourselves with the walls up, that you would just release us, God, now. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Holy Spirit, would you pour yourself out on us today, right now? I really want to pray for those that are sick. It says in Scripture to pray for the sick. And so if you're sick, if you have physical conditions, if you have illnesses that are keeping you from things, I want to just create space to do that. So if you want to receive prayer for any sickness or illness, I'm going to ask you to come to your right, my left, and we'll have our prayer team pray for you. Would you come down now? If you're just, you've been carrying lingering colds, back problems. I want to pray for anxiety. Those that take medications for anxiety, we want to pray for you over here. So we're going to worship, and if you want to come down and kneel, we'll do that, and then I'll close this out in a couple of minutes. But I just want to invite you, if you want prayer for anything, let's get prayer, and let's respond to what God's doing in our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.